You know, we have holidays that celebrate people who risk their lives so that we could have peace here in America. And we have people, even in our own communities, that risk their lives so that we could have peace in our own neighborhoods. And I wonder, when God gave us an assignment and when God created us, and we began to understand that there is a God and we got into this relationship with God, I wonder how many of us truly understand that it doesn't come as an act of what society does that brings peace on this earth, but that it'll come through the church, it'll come through the believer, it'll come through those that say, I am going to be a peacemaker. In other words, that God is our heavenly father and in his house that we would say to him, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the series that we're in. What this series does is it, it kind of helps us to make a clear distinction on where we stand in this world, where we stand in our homes, where we stand in life, where we stand in our workplaces. If our mentality is, well, I'm just going to go with the ways of the world, then what difference will we make? God says to shine your light. Well, if we live in a world full of darkness, then we need to shine our light. If we're people who say, Lord, I am going to make this commitment beginning in 2015 that I am going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Along with that will come the obstacles in this world that are going to fight against you because you're making that stance. Today we're going to be talking about succeeding against odds. And in your bulletin there are some notes that you can take out and it will help you to follow along. One thing I notice is when we talk about succeeding in this world, automatically we'll start thinking of finances, uh, the job or position or getting more, and that's what success looks like, or uh, being married for a long time. That's success. So we look at success, and we tend to think that success is looking a certain way because that's how we're, we're built as a, soci- as a society that the world says this is what success will look like. But even though we may have all of these things, does that make us successful? What does success look like? And if we're going to succeed in this world, how do we get there? At the same time, as a believer, do we succeed in the way that the world does? Is it the same thing? And that's what we want to look at. Because as a believer, it's different to succeed in this world. It's, there's, a, there's a difference when you say, I'm going to follow God and make that declaration that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is a, a clear difference between success in the world and then success in the kingdom. Once you make the decision to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you are now in a different river. You're not flowing downstream anymore just to kind of go with the flow and see all the other things flowing down the, ro- uh, flowing down the river. You, you're going to now have to swim upstream. You know what flows down rivers? Anything that cannot swim upstream, which can be rubbish. It can be a dead carcass. It can be mud and debris. It could be anything that does not have the power to swim against the current. See, as a believer, you're going to make that decision, and you're going to have to make that decision to say, I live different than the way of the world. I swim against the current of the world. 
So a non-believer or someone who doesn't believe in God, easy to do things in the world because they're swimming with the current. It's easy. It's easy to make decisions like the world. Oh, someone's, you know, acting up to you. Ah, lick them. Someone's saying something negative to you. Say the same thing back. It's easy to go with the flow. Why? Because you're just flowing down the river with the current. But when you say, I'm a believer, now you're not taking shortcuts. Now you're not just going with the flow. You're living your life according to the ways of God that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's, there's, a, there's a battle that takes place because you're making that decision. I was watching this one video clip of salmon. You know, the fish, that their life cycle and, and how they have to swim upstream. That when they are born and they go downstream, they end up in the ocean and they spend about eight years there. And then it's time for them to go back upstream to the place that they were born. Scientists uh, figured out or they believe that the, the Earth's magnetization, um, um, the ag- magnet, what is it called? The magnet, I'm saying magnetation. Earth's magnetic pull is, guides them back to the rivers. And their, their keen sense of smell gets them back to the same river that they were born from. So now they're swimming upstream. And, and as they're going upstream, they have to dodge obstacles and predators. You know, they got bears. They have, you know, wildcats. So they have to go against the current and, and fight the currents, and they have the strength to do so, but at the same time, they have to be aware of the predators. Sometimes, and once in a while, after all that struggle, they can find a, a little area that is calm where they can relax, kind of gain their strength and rest a little bit, and then there they go back upstream so that as they get to the top, now they can lay their eggs. And then when the females lay their eggs, the the, um, the males guard the female and the eggs. And then the female, because of all of that hard work and, and trying to get there, is tired and weary and starving. And then she dies. It's kind of a bad ending to all of this. And then she just dies. And then the husband, the husband, the, uh, the other fish, what is the male? <laughs> Maybe they're married. I don't know. So the male fish is there. I'm thinking of real life, right? The husband's supposed to guard the wife. So now the, the fish is there, the male guarding everything. But then he too dies. And then their, their uh, bodies decay. And then it becomes the nutrients for the next generation. And then the cycle begins all over again. And this salmon fights all the way to the top for new life. And I thought about us as human beings, that we can go with the flow of the current. doesn't take much fight. In fact, it's easy. You don't need much energy. You don't need much strength to just flow downstream. But along with it, you'll have all the junk that flows with you. However, with God, you're swimming upstream because you're going against the currents of the world. And when you go against the currents of the world, what you're saying is, I'm not going to live like the rest of the world. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's been our centerpiece scripture. It comes out of the book of Joshua because when God was building this nation called Israel, they had to go against the grain of the world. They had to go against the current of the world. And Joshua had to make a clear distinction between being God's people and then the rest of the world. And in your notes in Joshua chapter 24, verses 13 through 15, Joshua tells the people that God has given you a land for which you did not labor, 
And cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Then he says this, and this is a clear distinction. This is where the, the, the line is drawn in the sand. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. In other words, what Joshua is saying is, the Lord says, you're no longer flowing with the currents of the world. You're now going against the current. So you've got to put away all of that. Everything that you've been thinking about that had nothing to do with God, all of that is now done. Let that go. Serve the Lord. And, it, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, it says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that were on the other side of the river that your father served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then Joshua makes the statement that all of us know by now if you've been here. But if this is your first time, then you can say this together with us. And Joshua said this. And let's say this together. Ready? Go. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, that, was, the, that was the line in the sand. That was the, the declaration. That was the decision that was being made for the nation to say, we're not going to be like the rest of the world. Now we're going to live for God. See, it's, if you're saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, along with that comes your faith. Along with that comes quick decision-making. Because when you're with your friends or when you're in the world, those, those moments of making decision, that, that decision to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you're not going to have time to think. You're not going to have to have time to think about, okay, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I do that? It has to come out naturally. It has to come out as a believer, as you're living your life for God, that it comes out naturally. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in a decision or stuck in a circumstance that you're going to have to make a quick decision. And if you're not set, if your foundation is not as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you're going to compromise all the time. And you're not going to be able to succeed against odds because in this world, as a believer, the odds are against you. The odds are against you. Laws are being passed. People are just not, uh, they're, they're not okay with certain beliefs that the Bible has. So you're going against the current of the world. And you're going against all odds. But if you don't have that as your foundation, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you're not going to succeed against odds because you can't make those quick decisions on the fly if you're trying to make that decision on the fly. You've got to have that foundation already. Heidi and I were at this party, and, uh, you know, we're eating dinner, and, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get me a, a cup of water. And, and so Heidi sees me getting up. She goes, can you get me a, a cup of water? I said, yeah, sure. So I go to the, the, the cooler, and so I'm making uh, water. And someone comes over, and so we start talking story. We're talking about things. And so I'm drinking water. I fill up my water. And, and so we're talking. And then I forget about Heidi's water. So I start walking back to my table, and Heidi's there, and she sees me with just one water. And I'm just about to sit down. She goes, you forgot my water, didn't you? I said, no, I forgot mine. This is yours. I'll go get my water. <laughs> I have to think quick. I have to, it, but if I have to think on the fly, because that's my wife, so i got to serve her, make sure that she's first. If she's not first in my life, I, I, I can't make those decisions on the fly. And yes, it was my water, but hey, you got to sacrifice, right, husbands? Sometimes you just got to sacrifice. And part of succeeding against odds is you're going to have to make decisions that require sacrifice. 
That's what Jesus did. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have the life that he promised us. The land that they were in, that Joshua was making this declaration, was called, they, were, they were entering the promised land, the land that God promised them. So when he makes this decision, he knows that he's making this a foundation for them to live off of. That was their foundation. It wasn't, it wasn't the land that they were in. It was the God that they served that was their foundation. And some of us try to build our faith by circumstances rather than building our faith in God. And sometimes we believe and trust in God based on our circumstances. So when we're trying to succeed in the world in the way a believer should, if we don't have God as our foundation, then we're not going to be able to succeed because we're fighting against the odds. You're constantly fighting. But if you say, God, you're my foundation, then he's going to give you the strength to be successful. Andy Stanley, he's a pastor uh, in Atlanta of North Point Community Church, and, and he, he says it like this. He, he calls it circumstantial faith. And he says, circumstantial faith says, I am believing and trusting in God based on my ability to find God in my circumstance. That's what a, a person who has circumstantial faith looks like. That I'm, I'm basing my belief and trust in God by looking for God in my circumstances. That if my circumstances are good then God loves me. He cares for me. Then he is good. But if my circumstances are bad, then I don't know if God cares for me. I don't know if he loves me because my circumstances aren't good. And so we ask, God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Circumstantial faith is not the best way to live because life is random. We don't know what's going to happen in life. Our circumstances change all the time. So if you're basing your relationship on God and God's favor on you and, God, and your belief in God and your trust in God on your circumstances, then what you believe today is going to change tomorrow because circumstances change. So if you're basing everything on your circumstances, you're trusting God, how much God loves you. If your prayer was answered, if God hears you on your circumstances, you're not going to succeed. Because you're basing everything on changing times, on changing circumstances, on changing conditions. You used to think one way when you were growing up. Like our parents used to say, uh, like if you're making a funny face, remember they would tell you don't make that face or it's going to get stuck. And then as you grew up, you realized, wait, that's not true. So your belief system changed because you understood something else. Your circumstances changed. So because your circumstances change and now you don't believe what you used to believe, your behavior changes. So if we're basing everything on circumstance, then our behavior will always try to match our circumstance. Our lifestyle will try to match what we believe because of our circumstance. And if you're living by circumstance and you're living in that kind of way and you're saying, God, this is my relationship with you, your relationship with God is so fragile because circumstances change. And if you're trying to succeed in the world, you're, you're now putting yourself at greater odds because now you're living according to changing times and, and circumstances that will change. Your faith is going to be different as your circumstances change 
if you base everything off of circumstance. If you base your, circum- if you base your belief in God off of circumstance, that, okay, things aren't working out, my marriage isn't working out, relationships not working out, God's not providing, okay, God, you must not, must not be real. So-and-so did not, uh, was not healed. Uh, so-and-so, their an- prayer wasn't answered. So, God, you, you must not like that person. You must not love me. You must. So if, if you're thinking that way, then you're going to have a very difficult time succeeding because things change. As a teenager, remember when you couldn't find that shirt? I mean, you lost your mind. Our, our kids, they lose their minds. They can't find something. I can't find my shirt. Where's my shirt? Where's my shirt? And they go crazy. And then they get, you know, the attitude changes. And then they, 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 they get mad. They get angry. Or they have to do something. And then their attitude changes because what they believe at that certain point in life is the way I look is the most important. And then when you grow up, you can't find the shirt. What do you do? You just go get another one. You try and tell a teenager that. Just go get another shirt. No, I can't wear another shirt. Not today. It's twinsies day. There's no way I can wear another shirt. We planned this day. We're supposed to wear the same shirt. But you change as you grow up because you understand differently. And if you're trying to understand God through your circumstances, you're not going to succeed because circumstances change. We're, we're, we're going to constantly chase after things that try to get us to a place that says God is real. God loves me. God has favor on me. If you're looking for God in your circumstances, sometimes you think you're not able to do something because of your present condition. And you think that, well, as, even as a believer, you're going to think this. As a believer, I can't do certain things because my condition. I don't have the finances. My relationship is not strong. I don't know the Bible too well. Oh, I'm not a church attender. So you think in that kind of way that I'm not able to do certain things because of the present condition. But conditions change. And if you're basing everything off of the condition you're in, you're not going to be able to tap in the potential that God has for you. Even if you were to declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can say it, but if you're living off of circumstances, you're not going to succeed. The other day I was um, running, and I'll just go run down my road. And as I'm running, I'm tired, and so I, I, I have a certain pace that I'm running. And so as I'm running... You know, I think I told you this uh, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve service that Heidi gave me this weight vest. You know, you go running and you put, you know, some weights to it. So there's like four, six pounds or something. So I'm running with that. And, and as I'm running, I see this person walk into our yard and Heidi's home. So I'm thinking, who is that person? Now, as I'm running, I'm tired. I can't pick up the pace because I'm tired. My legs are tired. But when I saw that person walk into my yard, for some reason, I had superpowers. And now I could run faster. I'm like, oh, buddy, no way. You're going into my house. And so as I run home, it was a salesperson. And I'm dead tired. I'm like, so what's up? (laughs) He's probably thinking, oh, who's who's this guy? And I thought, what changed? Did I somehow develop some superpower? Did I somehow develop a, a kind of power that I never had before? You know what changed? My circumstances. When your circumstances change, you do too. You change. And although that's good in life and good if you're going to save someone and you, you, you use your strength, it's not good for our faith. 
Because if you're basing everything off of circumstance, your belief in God, your trust in God, what, what your circumstances look like, then your circumstances are going to change your faith because circumstances change. Life is random. We can't plan things out to make it happen 100%. Because here's the first thing we're going to learn, and you can write this in. Circumstances are not the measure for my success. That's not going to be the measurement. It's not going to be your circumstance. Because some people would say, well, I'm successful. Why? Oh, because I have a lot of money. And then the economy crashes. Then there goes all their money. Now what changes? Their belief. I'm no longer successful. Why? Because my bank account is zero. No, it just means you don't have money right now. doesn't mean you're not a success. See, circumstances are not the measure of our success. And it shouldn't be the measure shouldn't be the measurement of our success. Circumstances cannot measure success. There is a way, though, for us to see that, wait a minute, then there's something that is happening in my life that is helping me to succeed. There's something that shows that I am successful, and it's not going to be the way the world says you're successful. See, this faith that we have, if it's based on circumstances, will make our faith fragile if we base it on circumstances because circumstances change all the time. And we don't know and we're not very good at interpreting our circumstances well. We're not. Just think about when we were growing up and when your children were younger. If we were to step into each other's life at a certain key point in life and then we said and made a decision to say you're a success or not based on that condition, many of us would say there's no way you're going to be successful. There's no way you're going to make it in life. Why? Because we were looking at that present or that that condition or that, that time in life that you were struggling with something. Let's just say my children, when they were younger and they were grounded because they did certain things that were not good for them. If you were to ask them at that very moment, does daddy love you? They would probably say, no, he doesn't like us. He's punishing us. Why is he punishing you? Because I ran on the road where all the cars go back and forth. No, he does love you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want us to play. He doesn't want us to have fun. No, he doesn't want you to die. That's why he's saying, don't go by the road. That's why you got a spanking because you kept going to the road. At that present time and that, that circumstance, our children would say, dad doesn't like me. Mom doesn't love me. Or if we send them to the dentist or the doctor. I remember when my son, Justin, he was just a you know, baby and, and really young when he had to get some shots. And uh, I don't know if they were booster shots, but he was old enough to, to know what was happening. He was old enough to speak with me. So maybe he was around two years old. I don't know. But we went in there, and the doctor said, okay, you're going to want to hug him, which means to hold him. So I had to hold him, and... My oldest son, Justin, at that time was like, okay, so what is going on? What's happening? And, and right when he was starting to think about, okay, dad, what is going on? The doctor got him right in his leg and gave him the shot. And so he looked at me and, <laughs> and you know, and that just that deep pain. And the look he gave me was like, what are you doing to me, daddy? I'm thinking, no, look at the doctor. Don't look at me. It's not my fault. I'm not stabbing you with the needle. But if you were to ask him at that time, does daddy care for you? He's probably thinking, no, 
Daddy doesn't care for me. But as parents, we know that's why we take our kids in, our, our children in, to get, check up, or to get checked up or to get checked on because we care for them. Sometimes we're looking at our circumstances and we're saying, God doesn't care for me because of my circumstances. And God is saying, you're only looking at it in your time frame. You're not looking at it in my time frame. That's the, it reminds me of the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. And when Joseph was growing up, he had these dreams. And with his brothers, he would have these dreams and he would share his dreams. He would say, oh, I'm going to be someone great. I'm going to do these great things. His brothers got jealous, sold him into slavery. Joseph goes into uh, slavery, goes into and, and grows up in slavery. Is that a man is at a man's house by the name of Potiphar. He's now his, his uh, servant in that home. And Potiphar's wife kind of comes on to him. And so he says, no, no, no. My master has given me everything in the household. I am not going to go this route. And so Joseph, he avoids that situation. But then Potiphar's wife, I guess she's a little, you know, angry because he didn't give in to her pleadings, has him thrown into prison. He's in prison, but then because he has these dreams and because he's able to interpret dreams, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, brings him out of prison to help him with some things, some dreams and some thoughts. And so Joseph actually rises up as the second in command in Egypt. And if you're reading your devotions with us, you're reading about how Joseph was able to come to a place where he helped Egypt stay afloat in the worst famine that they would have ever experienced. But then, now Joseph's brothers, they're all grown up. Now, because of the famine, the brothers have to come to Egypt and buy grain from Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. But they don't recognize him. And so Joseph, he kind of treats them a little harsh, almost like a little payback. And so Joseph is wrestling with his emotions. Well, he gives them their grain, but he also puts money in their their, um, their grain baskets. And so the brothers open up one of their sacks of, of grain to give his donkey feed at the camp that they were at. And they notice, he notices the money in his sack. And listen to what the brother says in Genesis 42, verse 28. He says, look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. Here it is in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, what has who? God done to us. They're, so they're thinking, what did, what did God do to us? Have you ever said that? That you're in a, a, you're in a present circumstance and it's not going your way. You don't have favor. And then you think in your mind, what is God doing to me? Why is God doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Well, God didn't do that. Joseph did. But for some reason, it seems as if Joseph's brothers had circumstantial faith. That their faith was based on circumstance. So when their circumstances changed, they now started to think it was God that was punishing them. And they thought, God's punishing us because this is what we did to our brother a long time ago. Now their circumstances have changed. So you cannot measure success on circumstance. There's a story in the Bible in John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 15. And this is a man who has been 
who has been in sickness for 38 years. He cannot walk. In John chapter 5, it says, After this, in, in verse 1, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is in Hebrew called Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, what do you, or do you want to be made well? So Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him. He said, sir, watch his answer. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. He didn't even answer Jesus' question. So Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And after that day, oh, that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now the Sabbath was a day of rest. And they actually had 39 prohibitions that said, this is what you're not to do on the Sabbath. And the 39th one was carrying your mat. Or your bed. So they're saying, yeah, you can't do that. This is a day of rest. You're not supposed to carry your mat. Then he answered them. He said, well, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then he said to him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? In other words, they're thinking of the law. They're thinking, well, someone broke the command, the law of the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick up your mat. Who is this man? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. After Jesus found him in the temple, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So here you have this man who is not able to get into the water. And, and we don't know if the water was, you know, something was in the water or if an angel actually did come down or if, or if maybe someone got healed in that water and people thought it was the water. Whatever the case, that man who had this sickness thought that it was the water. Jesus comes to him. Now, imagine the scene, okay, a multitude, which is more than where we, um, how many people are here this morning. But imagine Jesus trying to get to this guy. The whole place is filled with sick people. Jesus has to go through the sick people to get to this one man. So Jesus is walking through the crowd through sick people, people who are lame, blind, or they have some kind of disease. He's walking through them to this one man. And I don't know why Jesus passed everyone else into this one guy. This guy was, you know, like that for 38 years. Maybe he was the longest person that has been there. Who knows? But Jesus went to him and told him, do you want to be made well? Now, this guy says to Jesus, well, no one's able to let me into the pool. In other words, this man was looking to Jesus to take him to the pool for healing. He was trying to succeed against all the odds 
thinking that his need was to have Jesus take him to the pool. He didn't need the pool. He needed Jesus. He didn't know that. But Jesus did. So Jesus tells him, well, take up your bed and go home. Now Jesus has to go back through the multitude. Excuse me, excuse me, sorry. Oh, coming through. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to step on your leg. Sorry. These are people who need healing. And I'm wondering, why, Jesus, why didn't you just heal everyone? Because isn't that what we want in our world? Jesus, why don't you heal everyone? How come you healed my auntie but not my uncle? How come you healed my friend but not my other friend? How come this person is surviving? How come that person didn't? Jesus, you could have healed them all. Why didn't you do that? And we don't know why. But we do know this. We don't see things like how God does. Imagine if the people that were in the Bible, like Joseph, for 15 years while in slavery and in prison and, and, and from the time he was sold into slavery until the time he became second in command. Imagine if through the, those circumstances, being in prison or, or you know, being accused for a crime he didn't commit, imagine during those times that, that Joseph was, would look at his circumstance and say, God doesn't care and bailed out. Think about Abraham when God said to move from your own country into a land that I'm not going to tell you about until you get there. That as he's traveling, he's going through many obstacles. A lot of odds are against him. Imagine if Abraham at a certain point in his life, he said, you know what, God, you don't care because you're not, there's nothing out here. I'm in the wilderness. Imagine if he bailed out. Imagine if Jesus, while going to the cross, going through all that pain and suffering, agony, felt that, okay, well, you don't care. You've abandoned me while on the cross. If Jesus said, well, according to my circumstances, it shows you don't care for me. See, it's the, the difference. This is what sets Christianity apart from any other belief, any other world religion, any other uh, belief system, any other new age thinking. Our belief is not based on circumstances and the condition that you're in. 2,000 years ago, something happened that made us believe that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. In other words, our belief and the way we live and the foundation of Christianity is not based on our circumstances. It is based on a person. It is based on Jesus Christ. So if you're trying to measure success on your condition, we're not very good interpreters of our condition, our present condition. Because what is, if, if what is happening today is making you think God doesn't care, it may very well be you're in that condition because God cares and because he sees something else that you don't see and you're not going to realize unless Jesus is your foundation. Not your circumstances, not your health, not what you're going through, not your finances, not your relationships, but Jesus Christ because we cannot measure our success based on our circumstances. That is not a true measurement of our success. It has to be on Jesus Christ. That's what's going to help us to understand that there is more to life than what it seems right now. 
Now, every once in a while, a certain person is healed. Every once in a while, God will change our circumstances or he'll change something so our circumstances change. Once in a while, we are set free. Now, for some people, and this may sound kind of, well, kind of harsh, but God may not change your circumstance on the decision that you made that was against him. You're just going to have to deal with the consequences of the decision that you made that were against God. Um, people will come up to me, and, and it's okay to pray about this. They'll come up to me and they'll say, can you pray that I don't get sentenced when I go to court tomorrow? I said, well, what happened? Well, I did this, 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 and this. And, and in the law of the land, you're supposed to have a sentence. You're, something is supposed to happen. There is a consequence to the decision that you made. Now, once in a while, maybe God does rescue people from something that they did and a consequence. Maybe he does. And God does heal people in our time today. Why he doesn't heal everyone and why, does, why doesn't he save everyone from certain situations, we don't know. But once in a while, he does rescue people. And what do we say when we get rescued by God, when you're facing some type of odds? We say three words, thank you, Jesus. Don't we say that? We say, oh, thank you, Jesus, or thank you, God. So I'm going over Saddle Road, and I'm late for a meeting. And when you're late, and you're going over Saddle Road, you tend to speed up a little. So I start going a little faster, and so is the person behind me. So we're going over Saddle Road. I know I'm over the speed limit, way over the speed limit. I don't know exactly how much over, but it probably was like 67 miles an hour. Actually, I know because of this situation. As I'm driving, I see a police officer light come over the hill, and it's daytime, but that's what you're looking for, right, when you're going fast. You're like, wait, where's the cops? Where's the cops? Where's the cops? So, you're, 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 yeah, so I see the light, and Heidi, Heidi's in the passenger seat, seat. She goes, you know that's a cop, yeah? I was like, yeah. So I'm like, oh, man. So I'm like trying to be all cool. I said, you know what? If I get you know, caught for speeding, it's my fault. I was speeding. So whatever. That's, it's just going to happen. So I'm driving, and I'm looking in my rearview mirror. Sure enough, he turns on his light, and he turns around. And I'm thinking, wait, I'm going pretty fast, so he's going to have to really, really catch up, and he does. So there's me in the car behind me, and so, you know, he turns on his siren, and you hate that sound. It's just a, I'm like, ah. So I, I pull over, and so does the guy behind us. And so we pull over, and the police officer stops behind that guy's car. So I'm looking in the rearview mirror, I'm thinking, Huh, he's not, he's catching that guy. So I pull back onto the road and I keep going. And Heidi goes, you, you know that you were speeding, not that guy. I said, hey, he got pulled over, not me. That's, that, that's between him and that police officer. That's not, you know, me. Hey, I just, whatever. And so, you know what I say? I say three words. Thank you, Jesus. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, I was speeding. I should have gotten caught. Now, if you're here and you're a police officer, pow already, pow. That's pow. You, you, you know more proof, so I'm just, I'm just talking story. So, but I keep going, and, and I think about that situation, and then I thought, oh, maybe God was like Jedi at that time. He says, you, this is not the car you're trying to catch. And maybe he caught the other car in the back. I don't know. But all I know was I deserved 
punishment. I deserved a ticket. I deserved to pay something. That was, I, I was supposed to get punished for it. But for some reason, I didn't. Heidi said, you know that other car? You know what that other car was to you? That was your scapegoat. That was your sacrifice. That's what it was. And I thought, that's what Jesus did for me. <laughs> Everything is about Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, that's what you did for me. I was supposed to get busted for my sin. I was supposed to die because of my sin. But you took the punishment for me. You, you got caught for me. So I say three words. Thank you, Jesus. See, if you're ever going to succeed against any odd, your foundation must be Jesus Christ. And don't speed. Stay under the speed limit. (laughs) Stay under. We all want to succeed, but when it seems like the odds are against you, what do you do? Do you take shortcuts or cut corners or do you cheat or justify? Or do you just go for it and hope for the best? Because our circumstances are going to change. Our attitudes are going to change. And if we're basing everything off of circumstance and basing success off of circumstance, when the circumstances change, so will your attitude. So will the things you think will bring you success. The other day when Heidi and I were walking, I thought, well, I'm going to take our dogs, you know, because they, they, they need to go walking. So I have two dogs. One is called Bear. She's a little older. She's about nine years old. And then one named Bo. He's probably close to... Two years old. Actually, he's going to make two, I think, this year. So one is a, one is a mixed dog. Bear is a, I think she's like a Rottweiler, Pitbull, Chow. <laughs> wow. So, and she's kind of a big dog, maybe 85 pounds. Uh, my other dog, Bo, he is a, a Pitbull Mastiff. So he's kind of a big dog too. Well, he's younger, so he has a lot of energy. He likes to run. I mean run and sprint. Bear, on the other hand, she's nine years old. That's 72 years, dog years. So she's kind of, she's a cruiser. So I take them both at the same time. One is doing this. The other is just cruising. So I'm like, Bo, stay over here. Bear, come on, let's go. Bo, slow down. Bear, hurry up. So that's how I'm walking them. I'm just going. Sounds like with our children, yeah? One is five, one is one. Slow down. Hurry up. Slow down. Just pick them both up and just walk with them. But I can't do that with my dogs. So I'm so frustrated. And Heidi's walking. I can't even enjoy my time with Heidi because of my two dogs. So after a while, I say, you know, Heidi, I'm, I'm just going to take the dogs home. She's like, okay. You know, she's all happy and sunshine and all happy. And, 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 so, and I'm frustrated. So I take our dogs home. And, and have you ever gone so insane that you're talking to dogs that don't really understand English? They're all happy. Hey, I'm going walking. I'm going walking. I love this. I'm like, you guys don't listen. You, 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 you're running and you, you're going so fast. And you, you, you're just cruising. And she's like, like, stop looking at me like that. Stop being happy. You're supposed to be miserable because I'm yelling at you. And you, no more walking. You do not walk already. And you, you guys, you know, I'm going to tie you guys up. And then you, you will walk her. <laughs> and so I take off their chains and I say, get, get in the yard. No more you guys going walking. No more. So I meet up with Heidi. And, I, and, and Heidi goes, so what's with the dogs? I said, I ain't taking them walking anymore ever again. She goes, whoa, what's the matter? She goes, I said, because they don't know how to walk. They don't know how to walk. And she goes, it's okay. One is just fast and one is slow. I said, one well, too bad. Too bad. She goes, why don't you just take one at a time? I said, you know how long that's going to take? I got to take one dog at a time. No more I taking them walking. Have you ever said that? Like a, a statement that you know you're not going to commit to? Like with your children? You better sit down or I'm going to break your legs. 
like borderline child abuse. <laughs> but you say certain things that you're not going to do because you're frustrated, because of your present condition. And when we say those things, we feel it because of our present condition. And when we say those things, what we're actually saying is, I don't like the condition I'm in. So I'm going to change my behavior to fit what my conditions are and what I believe. I believe right now it's not going well. I believe right now my circumstances are because of what God is doing to me or, or, or God doesn't have favor on me. So I change my lifestyle to fit my circumstance so that I can fit my belief system, so that I can fit where I am in this present condition. So everything is based on what is happening in my life today. And so now my behavior changes. And so now when someone says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven, you're thinking, what light? There is no light. You know what's happening in my life? God doesn't care. God's not there. He's not answering my prayer. See, our time frame is so different than God's. John 16, 33. There, there are certain promises that God doesn't make. Like God, God didn't say that you're not going to be hurt by others. God didn't say that he's going to stop bad things from happening. But he did make this promise. In John 16, 33, he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. And here's the promise that God made. And it's a weird promise. But he said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Think about it. He said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. But we miss the part that he says, you're going to have trouble in this world. That's a promise by God. Here's the second thing. Our time frame is not God's time frame. It's different than God's. We think in seconds, God thinks in months or years. We ask God for something or we, we have some type of prayer that we give to God and then God says, yeah, no, I, I hear your prayer. It'll be answered in seven years, 15 days, two hours, 32 seconds. And we're thinking, well, what about next Tuesday? Can we do next Tuesday? God is saying, no, my time frame is different than yours. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's time frame is completely different because he thinks differently than we do. Early on in our relationship with Heidi and I, I didn't know, you know, if Heidi knew anything about sports or football or anything like that. So we were at a friend's house, and Heidi said, hey, we got to go. And I'm like, oh, the game is so good. There's like three minutes left, and it's close. The score is close. And I said, Heidi, there's only three minutes left, and the game is done. And she goes, three minutes? I said, yeah, there's only three minutes. She goes, no, there's like 30 minutes. I said, no, there's only three minutes. Look at the clock. Now, I didn't know Heidi liked, liked football at that time. You know, we were just getting to know each other. So I, I said, no, there's only three minutes. Look at the clock. She goes, no, no, that's three minutes on the game clock. And they're down by a score. they got to score a touchdown. A field goal is not going to make it. So they have three more minutes. Plus, they have all three timeouts. And they have the two-minute warning. So they're going to call all three timeouts because they, can't, they have to score. And they have to march 80 yards down the field. And within that time, they're going to have to call certain timeouts because they have to score. So you have 
30 minutes left in the game. I said, oh, sexy. How do you know this stuff? I said, you like football? And she goes, well, I know football. I, I love football. I was like, what? I like marry you. <laughs> so, and, and we know this. In football, three minutes is not three minutes. It is more like 30 minutes. If the game is that close, like today there's some football games. I don't know who's playing, whoever. <laughs> Detroit is gone. So... You're going to see that in those last two minutes, try and time it today. It's not two minutes. Our two minutes is not God's two minutes. Our time frame is not God's time frame. If you're trying to succeed against odds and you're thinking, boy, it's not going to happen, it just may not happen in your time frame. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His, his ways are better than our ways. In the, in the times that Jesus walked on this earth and then he died and was resurrected, people said he's coming back soon. And their soon was like right away. They're thinking like, oh, Jesus will be back in a minute. So they sold all that they had. They risked all that they could and it costed them. So after they risked everything and they sold everything, they had nothing. Now, the Jewish Christians were in such a difficult time period because of that, and so they lost all hope because they have nothing, and Jesus didn't come back. So the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we, pro we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, uh, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy says, you know, I, I haven't gone through, through what you've gone through, um, but I feel sorry for you. Empathy says, I went through exactly what you went through. And boy, I, I, don't, I don't feel for you. I know what you feel. Jesus knows what we feel because he went through everything that we are going to go through. He went through everything. He was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. So we don't have a high priest in the way that 